This is Street Signals, a weekly conversation about markets and macro brought to you by State Street Global Markets. I'm your host, Tim Graff, Head of Macro Strategy for EMEA at State Street, based in London. Hello, it's another week of Street Signals. It's me, your host, Tim Graff. I am going to be flying solo this week. It is research conference week here in Europe. We, by the time you hear this, will have had events in London, Frankfurt, and Milan on Tuesday. This week's episode is just going to be a very brief summary of the presentation that I gave on the macro and market outlook for the remainder of this year and early part of next year. I gave it in Frankfurt on Tuesday. Then it was about a 25 to 30 minute presentation with Q&A. I think I should be able to get through this in about half that amount of time. So let's get to it. And it begins with a discussion of inflation as well as growth dynamics, particularly in the US and the developed economies. Let's start with inflation. When you look at the work that we present in partnership with our friends at Price Stats, it's becoming pretty clear that while inflation is still obviously not back to target in most developed market economies, it is starting to normalize. When you look at US headline inflation, you did have a rise in the summer. This was mostly down to rising fuel prices, that is starting to really normalize. When you look at the sector level data that we have for the US provided by price stats as well, the current picture of it is one of normality. When you look at price stats relative to its seasonal norms, you don't really see any sectors that stand out. And in fact, a critical core goods sector, such as household equipment and furnishings, this had been abnormally high for a very long period of time. But now, as the US housing cycle has slowed, this has started to really normalize as well. So headline and core goods inflation looks to be a lot less of a problem in the US, as well as in other economies. We're seeing this happen in the Eurozone as well. We've seen it happening, albeit to a lesser degree, in the UK. The one economy it hasn't really happened in yet is Japan. That is something that's significant given how far behind the Bank of Japan is on the policy normalization path. But for the other developed economies, things look pretty normal. When you consider the growth outlook, It is interesting that as recession probabilities from other models have started to recede given the resilience of the U.S. economy and U.S. data over recent months, in fact, our own model that estimates the probability of a U.S. recession has actually kept on rising. It's up to about 85% now, in fact, that probability of a U.S. recession over the coming 12 months. And you're starting to see some evidence of past policy tightening coming through. When you look at bank lending surveys or credit availability, whether it's in the U.S. or the Eurozone, you are certainly starting to see institutions reporting tighter lending conditions. In the U.S., you've seen corporate lending growth start to drag. And this is some evidence that the past tightening of policy is working. What you'll see is those lagged effects of past tightening, I think, still continue to weigh on activity. And so even though the US has looked very resilient, and I think the US probably still is the strongest of the major economies, and that should support the dollar and US rates by extension, it does appear that we are entering a period of slower growth. And those higher recession probabilities that we were talking about at the beginning of the year may well be coming to the fore in the coming six to nine months. As a consequence of this, what are the institutions that we track in our investor behavior metrics doing? Well, for lack of a better phrase, they're kind of running for the hills right now. What you've seen 
over the course of this year, but especially of late, is a movement out of riskier assets into cash. That movement to cash isn't too surprising at any point in this year, especially the first half of the year where we didn't really have evidence that inflation was really normalizing the way we have evidence that that's the case now. So then investors were primarily taking it out of fixed income, but they weren't really touching equity portfolio balances. Investors then really kind of had this soft landing mentality that central banks would tighten policy sufficiently, you would achieve a soft landing, they would pause, and it wouldn't do anything too negative to the forward-looking growth outlook. Now, what is different the last one and three months is that cash balances continue to rise but they are rising at the expense of riskier equity markets. There is no longer quite this belief in a soft landing. And what that means going forward, I think, is a pretty similar message. Looking at monetary conditions, considering them in the context of real short-term interest rates, a real effective exchange rate for the dollar, they've tightened a lot already. In fact, we have unwound on the basis that I examined in my presentation, the entirety of the easing that we had in response to COVID. The bad news is that they can keep tightening further. Not only have conditions been tighter during past cycles, but inflation is falling. And as I've presented monetary conditions, it is in real terms, not nominal terms. If inflation keeps falling, real interest rates, of course, by extension, keep rising. The lagged effects of that policy tightening or monetary conditions tightening is still to be felt. So conditions are likely to get tighter. That has not been good for risky assets when it comes to investor behavior. And in fact, the patterns of equity investor behavior, I think, are well worth considering here. When you look at current period flows in global equities on a sector basis, the strongest buying is coming in utilities, healthcare, consumer staples. You really don't get a more defensive mix than that. And the outflows are coming from financials, materials, and industrials. Again, very hard to find a more anti-cyclical bias than that. The bad news is positions for the most part should allow this to continue. Healthcare and staples in particular are not very crowded at all. The positions in something like industrials are really neutral. There's a lot of room to sell. So a lot of the cyclicality in equity flows is another reason for me to be cautious. Where can money go now, though, if it's no longer going into equity markets? Well, there's another alternative, and that is fixed income markets. For the first time in 20 years, you see benchmark treasury yields in, say, 10-year maturities in excess of equity yield as comprised of dividend yield as well as buyback yield. It makes fixed income a viable asset class, particularly if inflation continues to fall. What we have seen as a consequence of this or alongside of this is institutional investors have been buyers of treasuries really all of this year. They have been the marginal buyer when rates were rising quite aggressively. They continue to be buyers. And the good news for them is that positions aren't crowded because actually the benchmark weight in US treasuries has been rising as a consequence of heavy supply, underperformance. What has happened as these investors have been buying is that their excess weight relative to benchmark has been going down. As a consequence, there's fewer obstacles for them to buy simply because positions still aren't that crowded because of that factor. On the other hand, what institutional investors are doing in the riskier side of the fixed income universe is they're moving away from EM local currency bonds, 
U.S. high-yield corporate bonds, higher-yielding sovereigns such as Italy, flows in those markets have been very weak over the last few months. So it makes the overall environment for fixed income more attractive if inflation is coming lower, but it looks to be more of an environment where safe haven fixed income appeals more than credit or spread product. What does that mean for currencies? Well, you kind of have to start all of these discussions with the US dollar based upon the scenarios that I've laid out and what we're currently seeing from the trends in institutional behavior in particular. The dollar is really hard to love in this environment. Let's face it, the Fed probably is done. The next move they make will probably be a rate cut, but they're not going to talk that way until it's sufficiently clear that inflation is back to target or that there is a far more significant loosening in the labor market than what we've currently seen so far. The dollar is crowded, it's expensive, but all of the negative things you could potentially say about the US economy, I suspect you could paint an even more negative picture in talking about those same factors for the Eurozone, for the UK, and a few other economies. And so in as much as the dollar is hard to love, I think it's hard to avoid. And I would suggest that any dips you get in the dollar over the coming months into the end of the year are probably dips that are worth buying, particularly against the euro, against sterling, against the Swiss franc as well. That also embeds something of a pro-carry bias into the view set. Now, I will acknowledge that FX volatility is very low. Our measure of FX turbulence is also quite low. That tends to favor pro-carry strategies. Well, within the G10 universe, the dollar is also the high yielder. So it gives you a bit of yield. It also gives you a bit of that safe haven protection if the negativity that we see coming through from our measures of investor behavior extends into year end, as we suggest it might well do. That's it. I think we managed to do that in about half the time the presentation I gave earlier in the week took. Just to summarize again, I'd say the focus for the remainder of this year into next year is just on how likely that recession is in the US and if that does materialize. The outlook we have for equity markets is not very positive. As a consequence, you have the past efforts of policy tightening that are coming through, making us a bit more defensive on risky assets. That's enhanced by the message we get from our indicators of institutional investor sentiment, particularly the move we currently see away from equity markets into cash, but also the rising appeal of fixed income that we now capture, particularly in light of the fact that inflation is no longer quite the problem it once was. Hope that was helpful. Hope it was enjoyable and hope to speak to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Street Signals from the research team at State Street Global Markets. This podcast and all of our research can be found at our web portal, Insights. There, you'll be able to find all of our latest thinking on macroeconomics and markets, where we leverage our deep experience in research on investor behavior, inflation, risk, and media sentiment, all of which goes into building an award-winning strategy product. If you're a client of State Street, hit us up there at globalmarkets.statestreet.com. We'll see you next time. This communication is provided by State Street Bank and Trust Company, hereafter referred to as State Street, and is for informational purposes only, and is not intended to suggest or recommend any transaction, investment, or investment strategy. It does not constitute investment research, nor does it purport to be comprehensive or intended to replace the exercise of an investor's own careful, independent review and judgment regarding any investment decision. 
This communication and the information herein does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities or any financial instrument, nor is it intended to constitute a binding contractual arrangement or commitment by State Street of any kind. The information provided does not take into account any particular investment objectives, strategies, investment horizon, or tax status. The views expressed herein are the views of State Street as of the date specified and are subject to change without notice based on market and other conditions. The information provided herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable at the time of publication. Nonetheless, we make no representations or assurances that the information is complete or accurate, and you should not place any reliance on said information. State Street hereby disclaims any warranty and all liability, whether arising in contract, tort, or otherwise, for any losses, liabilities, damages, expenses, or costs, either direct, indirect, consequential, special, or punitive, arising from or in connection with any use of this communication and or the information herein. State Street or its affiliates may from time to time as principal or agent for its own account or for those of its clients have positions in and or actively trade in financial instruments or other products identical to or economically related to those discussed in this communication. State Street may have a commercial relationship with issuers of financial instruments or other products discussed in this communication. This communication may contain information deemed to be forward-looking statements. These statements are based on assumptions, analyses, and expectations of State Street in light of its experience and perception of historical trends, current conditions, expected future developments, and other factors it believes appropriate under the circumstances. All information is subject to change without notice. This communication or any portion hereof may not be redistributed without the prior written consent of State Street. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.